0: Psalm 25. Let's dive right in. It's a psalm of David written by David. It's one of those psalms that we don't know the exact circumstance of of where and why he's writing uh, from. What is the context? Many believe that he could have been writing during that season when he's fleeing from his son Absalom, but we don't know. Could have been after his sin with Bathsheba for sure. He speaks um, uh, quite a bit about shame in this. He speaks about sin and iniquity, um, asking the Lord not to remember the sins of his youth. But again, we're not certain, but we do know. Here's what we do know there were many times in David's life where he was found in a very, very terrible situation intense times that he went through all of the time, Jeff knows, Um, hard times, hard moments that that caused him great anxiety. That's why we can relate a lot to the Psalms, because you're like, man, I relate. why do I relate? Oh, it's because David's in one of those situations. It's called life. And, and this Psalm, again, regardless of the exact context, takes place in a time like that for David. Now, Psalm 25 is another acrostic Psalm. So there, there's nine of them. We, uh, I said that a couple months ago. Um, Psalm chapter 9. Chapter 10, chapter 25, 34, 37, 111, 112, 119, and 145. Those are acrostic psalms. We're getting to that. An acrostic psalm is where each verse... Um, begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And, it's, it's al- and it goes in alphabetical order through the psalm. Actually, fun fact I, I wish I would have brought my iPad up here, but if you have the U Version app on um, your Bible, go over to the King James Version and it lays it out there. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting. You can kind of see um, how it progresses. Don't do that now, Jeff. Don't do that now. Focus. No, just see. <laughs> There you go. So yeah, it lays it out there. Fun fact, that's free. Uh, the first seven verses, if you're taking notes, is, is the first seven of, of Psalm 25 is a prayer. Then eight through 10, it's speaking to God. It prays, and then there's some reflection in, from verses 12 through 15, and then the remaining seven verses um, is another prayer. So let's dive right in. A Psalm of David, verse one. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed and do not let my enemies exalt over me. David I love how he begins the psalm. He begins with submission and surrender, surrender and trust. The the new living says this of verse 1, "O oh Lord, I give my life to you." That's how it begins. I like that. It's very simple. I'm lifting my soul like back to you wholly and completely. God, I'm holding nothing back. It's all of yours. My whole life, my whole being, everything that I own, everything that I am is yours. And then, verse two, he says, Oh my God, in you I trust. Listen, it is hard. It's a hard thing to say, God, I trust you if we don't first surrender our lives to him. If you're still holding on to your life, your dreams, your desires, your plans, your will, your control, you will never fully trust the Lord. You must first, we must first be submitted and surrendered to him. So David, again, he, he begins by saying, Lord, I give my life to you. I trust, I place my trust in you. It's as, if, it's as if David were looking up to the heavens, just arms wide open. That's kind of how I picture it. And just like, God, it's all of yours. Like everything that I am, here I am, I'm surrendered completely to you. I've got nothing besides you. And I can just say, this is how we must approach God in prayer. This is how we must start. How often, I mean, if we're honest tonight, when we think about prayer, we think about our prayer lives, Lord, how often do we pray? Like, Lord, here's my problem, and here is how I want you to respond to it. Lord, here's my anxiety, and here's exactly how I want you to fix it. How many of us are guilty with that? I am guilty like every morning of that. But not so with David. He starts here, Lord, my life is fully and completely yours. Do as you wish. I trust in you. So a homework, you're you're going home with homework tonight, okay? Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, when you're spending some time with the Lord, when you have your cup of coffee and you're beginning to pray, pray, Lord, my life is yours. This day is yours. Not this is what I want you to do in me and through me today. Whatever it is, my possessions are yours today. My future is yours. I trust you. Have your way in my life. I challenge you, start your day like that tomorrow. He says, don't let me be ashamed. He says, Lord, I'm standing up on you. I'm trusting in you. Don't let me be disappointed because of my faith in you. This idea of being ashamed is is not just an inward feeling, but an outward expression of public embarrassment. Lord, save me from the grief of those who are looking to humiliate me because I trust in you. Because even when life doesn't make sense and I'm I'm trusting you, I'm going on a limb and everyone's just looking. They're just waiting for things to not go right. Lord, would you save me from that? He says, don't let my enemies exalt over me. David is bringing his real concerns, that's what I love about David, his real concerns to the Lord. And this gives us some context to the psalm. Again, it's it's most likely that David is writing from a place of trouble, from a time in his life where he's in, in another intense battle or situation. He might be on the run, he might be fleeing from his very own son Absalom, but life's looking bleak for David. But he comes before the Lord in prayer and he says, don't let my enemies exult over me. Then the new King James says, let not my enemies triumph over me. Don't let them, Lord. Indeed, in verse 3, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Interesting. He's rounding this out. Lord, those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. He says, no one None of those who wait for you or place their trust in you will be ashamed. They're not going to be disappointed is what he's saying. They're not going to be let down. And this, listen, this is a result of simply placing your trust in the Lord, your confidence in the Lord. David says, you're not going to be disappointed. You're not going to look foolish. You won't be ashamed. But who will be? Who will be ashamed? David says, not us, Lord, not us. But our enemies, who, what does he say? They deal treacherously without cause. They will be ashamed. David, in this prayer, he's crying out to the Lord. Lord, let me not be ashamed. Let us not be ashamed. Don't let us face embarrassment for, for trusting you. But if someone is going to be ashamed, let it be our enemies, Lord. Let, him, let it be our enemies, Let those who are sinning without cause, let it be them, let them be ashamed. Again, this could definitely fit the context of of Absalom chasing after David, running David out of Jerusalem, out of the city. Very much fits in that line. And then he says this in in verse four as he's praying, make me know your ways. I love this prayer. You can pray anything tomorrow morning once you offer up and surrender your life once again to the Lord. Make me know your ways, O Lord "'Teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me. "'For you are the God of my salvation "'and for you I wait all the day.'" David says, Lord, I love this, "'Make me know your ways.'" He says, "'Teach me your paths.'" David knows that there's a right way, there's a wrong way. He's like, Lord, teach me your way." Make me know your ways. In the Hebrew, it means cause me to know or cause me to walk. Lord, let this happen. Make this happen. Make this a reality in my life. I love that David knows that he's not alone in this life. He knows that he can cry out to the Lord. He can trust God to guide him, to lead him, to help him. I think of Liam, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he taught out of Psalm 23 about the Lord being our shepherd and and, and where it's the Lord who is more than willing to lead us and to guide us and to show us if we would just trust him. Like that's the Lord. He's our shepherd. If we would just have a heart that is submitted to him, surrendered to him, he'll lead us along the right paths. He'll lead us along the right ways. But here's the problem if, if we're honest most of us maybe maybe just some of us in this room or maybe just me i don't know like most of us i would say ask the lord to lead us in our lives but how often are we really willing to follow where he does lead We're willing to pray it. Lord, lead me, lead me, guide me, direct me, show me. But when he does, are we willing to actually follow in obedience? And maybe that's a word for you tonight. Maybe you're you're Mr. Lord, lead me, lead me, lead me. Listen, the word for you tonight is just follow. Follow the shepherd. He is trying to lead you. He's trying to guide you. He's trying to teach you. Lead me in your truth, he says in verse five, and teach me. You see this this humility that's coming out of David's life, teachable. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Lord, there's a lot of people claiming truth out there in the world, right? We have that in our world. I need your truth. I need you to teach me. Listen, if you want to know truth from falsehood in our day and age, you've got to get into God's word. Amen to that? I think of Jesus' prayer, the high, high priestly prayer. In John 17, sanctify them in truth. Lord, your word is truth, not true. It's truth. And so if you want to be led in God's truth, get into God's word. Let him teach you. Let him reveal things to you. If you're confused about what's going on in life in 2021, and you're like, I mean, I wonder what God has to say about this. I wonder if he's cool with what's going on in our world. Get into his word. Let him show you. Let him teach you. But a great example of this is my wife. And I didn't tell her I was going to say this, but (laughs) so much information, right, 2020. I mean, so much. And from, from the whole spectrum, right? So much, everyone has an opinion. Everyone has a voice, even in the church, and not just this church, but the church, right? So everyone's just saying their opinion. Who do you believe? Who do you listen to? You know what her response was this year? I need to know God's word more. I need to know God's word more. And she started diving in. She has, she's like, she's like, who, who should I call The like mentor me? Just I want to know God's word more because I don't know who to listen to. I'm easily, you know, able to listen to this voice or this voice. I want to know God's voice. And I'll let that be a word for you tonight. Get into his word if you want to know truth. He says in the end of verse five, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day. David is rightly acknowledging where his salvation lies. He says, Lord, because you've saved me, I wait on you. I desire to wait on you. Lord, because of all that you've done, this is the least that I could do is just simply wait on you just to trust in you. Because without you, Lord, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to fall back on in life. And it's because of that I wait on you. But man, isn't that the hardest thing to do? If we're honest. To wait on the Lord. Many of us have our prayer list. Lord, what do you think about this? Lord, what do you think about that? Lord, teach me. Lord, show me. Lord, guide me. And he says, wait. Wait on me. I hate that. But that's what he says so often because he's doing something deeper in us. But, Lord, I want to know now. What should I do in this situation? Wait, wait, What should I do here? What should I wait? Just wait, he says. Calm down. Wait on me. Listen, waiting is one of the most important components of guidance from the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> that frustrates me, it's but it's the truth. <laughs> Teach me, lead me. You know, David was a great leader because he was a great follower. When he did not follow well, what happened? He fell and he sinned. Oh, Remember, it was that time of year when the kings went off into battle, Right? And what did David not do? He didn't go off into battle when everyone else should have. And it was there when he wasn't following what he should have been following that he fell into sin with Bathsheba. He was a king. He should have gone out. But when he followed after the Lord, when he allowed the Lord to be the shepherd of his soul, he was a great leader. So he says, make me know your ways. Cause me, teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. He says, I wait on you. Verse 6, remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindnesses, for they have been from old. David asked the Lord, remember, remember. And I think that this is interesting, you know, there are times in our lives when we go through hard times. Maybe we've just gone through a difficult season. Maybe we're still in the midst of trial or just hardship and oftentimes our circumstances can make us believe that God has somehow forgotten about us or that he's forgotten his wonderful character. But David here, he says, Lord, remember, it's a good prayer. Lord, remember, don't forget, he's saying, your compassion or your, your loving kindnesses. He uses the plural loving kindnesses. In Hebrew, that word is hesed, which speaks of God's deep covenantal love towards us. Lord, remember, he says, for they have been from old. David's crying out, requesting God's favor, just his presence in his life. He's like, Lord, you've shown me great compassion. You've shown great loving kindness or mercy in the past. You've shown deep covenantial love before in my life, Lord. Would you remember it now? Would you remember it in this particular situation and circumstance in my life? You've been so good. You've been so faithful. You've come through for me time and time again. How about now, Lord? Don't forget. So David says, remember, remember your compassion, remember your great love. And then he says that there are things I don't want you to remember, Lord. Look at verse seven. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Some of you, more than others, say amen to the hat. According to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. You know, what's interesting about this is that God can't forget He's God. He knows the end from the beginning. It's impossible for God to forget, but he can choose to not remember. That's his choice. You know, Hebrews says this, For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. He can't forget, but he can choose in his mercy, you know, as a father has compassion on his sons, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, to not remember them. And David understands that. And that's what he's talking about here. According to your loving kindness or your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Lord, I'm pleading before you to not remember the sins of my youth. And how, how is he pleading? He's not pleading based on his own merit. He's pleading the mercy of God. God, it's because of your goodness, not my goodness. It's for your goodness sake I'm asking you to do this, Lord. And that rounds out that his, his prayer in that seventh verse. And now he's going to speak about God. Look at verse eight. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, because of that, he instructs sinners in the way. David, again, he's simply acknowledging the character of God. The New Living says this of, of, of verse eight. The Lord is good and does what is right. I love that. I highlighted that it was in my Bible. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. David is saying this is who God is and this is what he does. He's good and he's upright, and he instructs sinners in the way. He's still longing to teach and and to show them. Verse 9, he leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. David knew that there was a particular kind of sinner that received teaching and instruction from the Lord. He says, those who are humble, notice that, those who are broken before the Lord, David says, he teaches those his way. Listen, if someone is not broken before the Lord or humbled before the Lord, what's the point of teaching them anyways, right? So he says he leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. Verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. He's answering, I believe, the the earlier prayers of teach me your ways, lead me in your truth. And now David says, all those paths, all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness or mercy. Look, as we look at this and when we deal with other people in our lives, when someone maybe has offended you, you know, it says here, all the paths of the Lord, again, are mercy, loving kindness. And so when it comes to relating to other people, I would say, when in doubt, err on the side of mercy. When you're thinking about someone, and you really want to be right in a particular situation and how to deal with them, and you're like, should I just come right out and rebuke them and lay the hammer down, or, or should I wait and, 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 and give it more time and be merciful, and you're worried because you're, you're wondering, am I going to make a mistake? Am I going to do the wrong thing? Always err on the side of mercy. Because listen, one day you and I are going to stand before the Lord and you're going to tell him, Lord, I wasn't sure about how to deal with this particular circumstance or this situation, but I know your ways and I know your ways are, are merciful and you've been so merciful to me. So I, I chose mercy. I thought I would honor you in this way. So when in doubt, err on the side of mercy. Why? Because the Lord has been so merciful to you. Verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Do you guys see that? For, my, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. David is confessing his sin before the Lord, pleading for forgiveness. He says, do it not for me, do it for your name's sake, do it for your glory. He says, pardon my iniquity. Why does he say that? He says, for it is great. He doesn't say pardon my iniquity because it's, it's only a tad and it's not really a big deal. No, no, no. It's for your namesake, would you pardon this great iniquity. David is feeling the weight of his sin. David Gutzik said in his commentary, David seemed to know the freedom and peace that comes from saying, Lord, I know that I'm a great sinner, but you are even a greater Savior. I humbly submit myself to you and ask you to pardon my iniquity. David knew the weight of his sin And it could be in this moment, you know, the whole Absalom story, not to go down that road, but if that is the situation, a lot of that rebellion around Absalom is a result of David's sin. So it could be, Lord, would you, for your name's sake, would you pardon my iniquity because my sin is so great. He's feeling the weight of his sin, whatever it is, whatever is on his mind, on his heart in this moment. Verse 12, who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. You know, early in this chapter, in verse 4, David says, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Then he said in verse 9 that, that he leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble. And now he says, The humble. That is the man or woman who fears the Lord here in verse 12. He will instruct them in the way they should choose. Listen, do you want the Lord to instruct you in life? That's a good thing. Yes, we should. Do you want the Lord to give you counsel and to guide you in his ways, in his truth? Here's what you need to do. Be humble before him. Fear the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of Wisdom. Verse 13, his soul will abide in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. And then he says in verse 14, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. Hmm. And he will make them know his covenant. Now, the secret, it's a very interesting word here that he uses. Um, In the Hebrew, it doesn't say secret, it speaks, though, of intimacy. It speaks of counsel, and the idea is that the intimate counsel of the Lord, the thing that he would speak secretly and intimately to you, the intimate counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him, those who come before him humbly, that have a relationship with him, those who would come before the Lord in awe and brokenness, that's what it means to fear the Lord, is to have that reverence before the Lord. And it's in those times that he speaks to us, his counsel, his ways, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. My eyes are continually toward the Lord. How many of us can say that tonight? Let's examine. My eyes are continually, verse 15, toward the Lord. Lord, help us in that. For he will pluck my feet out of the net. David says, he's gonna take me. I love this. David at this point was being chased potentially. Or in some form of danger. And he says, the Lord is going to do this for me. He's going to get me out of this. Verse 16, David is once again praying to the Lord. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Interesting. David, David's lonely. And he omits it. He speaks it. He says, Lord, I am lonely or I'm afflicted. Or, or maybe your translation says, I'm in distress. Listen, in your walk, I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but in your walk with the Lord, you're going to have some of these days that you're going to experience deep loneliness. Relational loneliness. I can't tell you how many times, and it's a, it's a, it's a newish feeling, but in the last few years, and I've told my wife this, that I have felt immense amount of loneliness in life. And I've shared that with, with, with some of you. But again, something I haven't felt you know, a lot growing up, but all of us go through seasons of loneliness. We do, and I think we can relate to that. And David speaks of it here. He says, Lord, I'm, I'm lonely and afflicted. Would you turn to me and be gracious to me? Listen, there is a cost to stepping aside from everything and saying, Lord, let me walk in your ways. There's gonna be a cost. And there, that cost sometimes can result in loneliness in this world. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because when you are finally away from this world and you're no longer entertaining relationships in this world, you get to know God in a deeper way in a deeper way that you would have never known if you had friendship. So many friendships in this world. So don't run from the loneliness. Don't, don't, don't think that God is mad at with you. He wants to go deeper with you. But there is a cost to stepping aside from everything and saying, Lord, let me walk in your ways, in your truth. He goes on to say in verse 17, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Lord, I'm just broken hearted. The New Living says, my problems go from bad to worse. How many of you can relate to that? Some of you can like, yes, that's me right now. Look upon my affliction, 18, and my trouble. Some of you can say that tonight. Lord, look, see it. And then he says, and forgive, once again, forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with violent, notice that, violent hatred. There is a genuine danger that David is speaking of here. You know, it's easy for us to, to, you know, in the mornings or even right now to, to read Psalm 25 and just to kind of gloss over this. But for David, man, he's being actively chased. He's being pursued potentially by an army who he says, they hate me with violent hatred. That's intense language that he's using. This though is David's current reality. This is, there's, this is his fear. There's violence involved. There's an overwhelming sense I get of anxiety, of worry. But he's crying out to the Lord in verse 20, guard my soul and deliver me. Don't let me be ashamed. Notice this. For I take refuge in you. David says, do not let me be ashamed. He's returning again to that theme that he began with in this psalm. He's hoping to escape public ridicule or, or humiliation, and he's taking claim, though, to the wonderful promise that we saw in verse 3, that no one who waits on the Lord will be ashamed. And he rounds out this verse by saying, Lord, it's in you that I take refuge. It's not in anything else. My hope began in you. It's ending in you. You alone are my refuge. You're my place of safety. Verse 21, let integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait on you. And then he closes out this psalm. He says, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. David's not just thinking about himself, his own needs, but he says, redeem Israel. That is all, redeem all of us, Lord. Have mercy on us. And then then it flows into Psalm 26, it's another prayer psalm. Psalm of David starts out with praying once more. Vindicate me, verse 1, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. Notice how he, and I'm not saying these two go together, but he ends um, 25 in in verse 21. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. And then he starts chapter 26, verse 1. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I've walked in my integrity and I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. David is well aware that he's unable to clear his own name, whatever, whatever he's trying to find vindication for. He was unable to vindicate himself. And so he turns to the Lord. And in essence, what he's trying to do is saying, Lord, like examine me, search my, search my life. Let, look at me with great detail. He says, I've walked in my integrity. I've trusted the Lord without wavering. Like he's looking at his track record. He's like, whatever that situation is like, Lord, you know, I know. David places his confidence that the Lord would answer his prayer because he places faith and trust in him. Verse two, he says, examine me. So he intensifies the language, not just vindicate me, Lord, but okay, here we go. Examine me now and try me. A lot of words of similar in Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms. He says, try me and test my mind and my heart. He says, examine me. Put me on trial. That is, again, to find no fault, to vindicate. This This is what I want you to do, Lord. He says, try me, test my mind, test my heart. Look at the very core of who I am. When the court of public opinion stops at the external, Lord, go deeper. That's what he's saying. Go deeper and look at my heart. Look at what man can't see. Go deeper. Search there, Lord. It's all open to you. You know, as I was going through this, it was super convicting. To, this afternoon, I was sitting in my office and I'm, and I'm typing just some quick notes out. And, and I don't even know if this is going to make sense, but I'm going to try to share it anyways. David <laughs> so desperately wanted to be in right standing before the Lord. That he wanted to appear before the Lord as blameless. That's uprightness. Not not sinless, but blameless. And the only opinion that mattered to him was God's. That was the only opinion. But here's where I kind of got, I was very convicted. How often in my life do I, or do I just am content so easily being in right standing just with this world? Oh, the world might think, oh, you know, you are doing fine outwardly, but how about God? Oh, the world doesn't seem to care so much about the things going on in your life, but doesn't the Lord? I don't know. It was just something I was thinking about. And I was just sitting in my office, today, praying, I was like, Lord, even when the world stops examining my life, would you search deeper? because I want to be right before you, not before man. I wanna be right before you in all things. So I just thought that was interesting. The Lord really ministered to me. Lord, when the court of public opinion stops at the external, Lord, search deeper, because I wanna stand before you in rightness and blamelessness. Verse three, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. Just like in chapter 25, the word for loving kindness in the Hebrew is which described that covenant love of the Lord, the loyalty of the Lord, the faithfulness of the Lord. David's saying, because of your faithfulness to me, because of your steadfast love toward me, because of that, I, I'm able to walk in your truth. And not that I just have this great knowledge of you, of your faithfulness, but I've allowed it. Notice this, to influence my life. I haven't just heard, but I've walked in it. So he tells of what he's done. I've kept your love before my eyes. I've walked in your truth. Now in verse four, he says what he hasn't done. Look at this. I do not sit with deceitful men, that is idolaters, nor will I go with pretenders, that is hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers and I will not sit with the wicked. David says, I'm not hanging out with them anymore. I'm not hanging out with that crowd. You know, it reminds me, it's an anonymous psalm. We don't know Psalm 1, uh, who wrote it, but likelihood it could be David. But the psalmist would say, reminds me very much of this, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates on it day and night. And he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, right? And whatever he does shall prosper. And that's what David is saying here. Lord, I have not sat with, I haven't stood with, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't walked in like this, with deceitful men or idolaters, nor will I go with pretenders, again, hypocrites. Now, look, it doesn't say, I want us to note this, it doesn't say that we won't have any association with sinners or with unbelievers, Right? That's not what David is saying. You know, Jesus himself ate with tax collectors and sinners. We just recently started watching the the show The Chosen again and just making like our studies in the Gospel of Luke on Sundays just come alive, which is really fun. But it just highlights there that Jesus himself, he ate, he associated with sinners. He was accused by the religious leaders. They were shocked that he would would hang around prostitutes and tax collectors, because we always put those two together, right? But here's what we have to understand. Jesus didn't go to them to have fellowship with them. The Bible says there's no fellowship. Light has no fellowship with darkness. No, no, Jesus went to speak life to them. Listen, you and I are going to go around and we're going to, we're going to live life and there's going to be a lot of unsaved people. There's going to be a lot of sinners in our lives, people that are far from God. And we have been commissioned to be messengers of truth, agents of grace. And listen, this, this analogy could be backfire, but you can't give someone COVID unless you have it, Right? You and I need to be contagious with the love of Jesus so that when we're around sinners, so that when we're around people who are far from God, they would get influenced by us and not us by them. That's our role in the world. And so so David is saying to the Lord, I have walked in your truth, but I haven't walked with deceitful men. I haven't walked with these pretenders, these hypocrites. I I haven't sat with the wicked. Look at verse six. I shall wash my hands in innocence and I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. David, he didn't believe he was sinless. We have to to understand that. He's not saying I'm perfect, I'm sinless. David knew he needed to wash his hands and, and he did so in the innocence of a clear conscience before the Lord. Lord, you know me. You've tried me in this. You've tested my heart in this. You've searched deeper than anyone else has searched. You've seen that I have come out as innocent. Verse 8, oh Lord, I have, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. I love this. David, no doubt, is enjoying fellowship with the Lord. And for David, it wasn't about being clean for the sake of being clean. It wasn't about getting vindication just to clear his name and to have a clean track record. David was all about being in right standing and right fellowship with the Lord, being in his presence. Because it's in his presence, his fullness of joy. Fellowship with the Father, verse nine. Do not take my soul away along with sinners. He's like, Lord, I don't want to be scooped up with that mess, nor my life with men of bloodshed in whose hands is a wicked scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. Whatever, Again, whatever horrible situation David was presently facing, he says, Lord, spare me from it all. Verse 11, but as for me, I shall walk in my integrity, in my blamelessness. Lord, I'm in a place of blamelessness, not because I'm perfect, but because I love your altar, because I love your house, because I love... You, because you're the God of my salvation. He says, "Redeem me, and be gracious to me." My foot stands on a level place in the congregations. I shall bless the Lord. I love that. Let me, let me read that again. My foot shall, my foot stands on a level place in the congregations. I shall bless the Lord. Listen, when, when we come together and we gather as God's people and we sing, when we study the scriptures, the Bible you know, tells us that he and the Lord inhabits the praises of his people, right? He dwells with us. And so when we come like on a Wednesday night, like tonight or a Sunday or, or a home group, and this world has just beat us up and just hit us over the head and just discouraged us and try to rip us off. We get strengthened together. We get steady. Notice what he says, our feet. They've been, they've been trying to slip all week long, but right now they're able to stand firm on the level place. He says, in the congregations, in the presence of God, I shall bless the Lord and together we shall bless the Lord. Amen. Isn't that what we constantly need? Lord, I need my feet to stand on level place because everything else is sinking sand. Everything else is is hills and mountains and valleys and and there's danger. Lord, I need to be on the solid rock. Yeah. Oh, to trust in the Lord fully. To wait on the Lord. There's no better, safer place than to live our lives wholly, submitted, and surrendered to God. Do you guys know that? This world is gonna tell you to hold on to this, hold on to that, grab a hold of this, don't let go of that. That's your dream, that's your desire. I don't know, Lord. It's like the psalmist or the, the hymnist would write, Nothing in my hands I cling, just simply to the cross. Or nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Lord, it's all yours. Everything I am, everything I have, it's all for you, about you. And in the congregations, that's us tonight. He says, I shall bless the Lord. Let's do that together as we close in worship. Father, we do want to bless your name. Lord, we acknowledge you as great. You're a great God. You are. And even despite some of the hard, difficult circumstances that we go through, and maybe we're even facing right now tonight, Lord, we acknowledge your goodness. We acknowledge your love for us. And even as David had to do, just remind himself of how faithful you've been in past years and how faithful you've been through past storms that he was in. Lord, that we would be reminded right now that you're gonna be faithful to us right now. You're gonna be faithful to us tomorrow. We can trust you. We can place our hope in you. We thank you for who you are. And tonight, as we close, Lord, we wanna bless your name. Lord, your word tells us that you inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, would you be in our midst as we worship you? In Jesus' name, amen.